Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. Our guest today is the writer and co-creator of the comic series, Guns Ablazin'. He's also written for well-known properties like Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, and World of Warcraft. He's a comic book publisher as well with his company, Atomic Basement, and he's the co-owner of The Comic Bug, which, in my opinion, is the best comic book shop in Southern California. He's got two branches in Manhattan Beach and Culver City. He knows literally every single person in the comic book world, and he's taking a break from his alter ego, Wonder Boy, to chat with us today. His secret identity is Mike Wellman. Sorry for uh, telling everyone your secret identity, Mike, but thanks for coming on. (laughs) Thanks, man. Well, that's okay. My uh, Cape and Tights have uh, kind of been in retirement uh, for the last couple of years, so <laughs> it's okay to be out at this point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we always like to begin uh, the show finding out a little bit about you, how you got your start uh, writing, and specifically how you got your start working in comic books. And I know you do a lot of different things in comics, and, you know, in terms of you're the co-owner of a pair of comic book shops you have a publishing company you're also a writer but how did you just get your start working in comics and and in writing in particular as well in in writing uh you know i did it i think the way that if you look back uh pretty much everybody gets their start and that's by um doing it themselves you know brian michael bendis was a self-publisher um his early works and i mean i can't think of anybody working in, in the industry today that didn't do it themselves. And um, so, you know, I always had uh, an ambition to be a writer, to tell stories. I, I wrote some plays back in North Carolina um, that were produced in like one act plays. And that was, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to create and to write, but what's, what really thrills me is, is putting it in front of people and seeing what their reaction is. Um, so uh, I had a few uh, false starts when I first moved out to LA. Uh, this guy wanted me to write a comic book for this model that he uh, represented and was obsessed with. And so I, I wrote a full like, six issue series about this, uh, this young lady and, and um, uh, you know, it wound up not happening. Um, but uh, in 2001, my, my uncle passed away hmm. and I inherited $5,000 from you know, his will to, towards me. And it was the biggest lump sum of money I'd had up to that point in my young life, I think I was like 23 or 24 years old, I was like, you know what, I can waste this on toys and comics and video games like I normally do when I come up with any money, (laughs) (laughs) or I can invest in my dream, which is uh, to create comics. Um, And uh, so I was friends with this guy, still am friends with this guy, Troy, who went to college with me and also wrote one-act plays uh, and moved here from North Carolina with me. And uh, I had met uh, an artist, Luke Lizalde who worked on an image comic called Objective 5. And uh, I had this idea for this character that was uh, sort of a Shaft meets Star Wars thing. Um, I worked at Jeffrey's Comics at the time. And I, I like to look at the landscape and, you know, kind of see what's out there. And, you know, if you have an idea for something that's already out there, what's the use in doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sci-fi from, and I'm a huge sci-fi fan, but sci-fi from like the 60s, up until that time in 2001, like there was no sci-fi featuring like African American heroes. So um, I, I created Mac Afro, and uh, my friend Troy wrote wrote the, uh, the first series, and uh, Luke drew it, and we uh, we sort of based Mac on Jim Kelly, uh, <laughs> the Kung Fu guy from uh-huh. Man and the Dragon, uh-huh. <laughs> and 
really sort of merged like that sort of Star Wars fun sci fantasy stuff with you know black exploitation, <laughs> and, right. uh, and that was definitely the result. So yeah. Um. Now I know a lot of our listeners uh, are writers, and they write in different genres, different mediums. Um, yeah. There's there's a big sort of crossover between uh, film, TV, and comic books nowadays. Um, my my question to you is, uh, because we have so many different writers who who focused on different mediums. Um, yeah. There are those who are interested in breaking into comic book writing. And I'm not talking about the business side, which I, I've talked to a number of different editors and publishers. It's very difficult. And as you mentioned, oftentimes you have to sort of do it yourself. But in terms of right. sort of that, that technical skill, um, the the sort of work uh, load and, 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 you know, what is required in terms of, of writing a comic book. I know you have these right, yeah. monthly courses, but maybe you can go into a little bit about what it takes to write a comic book and, and some of the uh, intricacies of writing a comic book and how totally. it differs from other formats. Yeah. I, I think I know where you're going with the question. So you have like screenwriters that, sure. you know, that want to maybe turn their screenplay into a comic and maybe get it, you know, seen that way in option for movies. What, what you have to do, I think, if you're a writer, uh, is you really have to understand the strengths and the weaknesses of whatever particular medium you're working in. And an example of that is, uh, you know, I love Frank Miller's Sin City, right? Sure. Um, you, you, it's very visual, stark, black and white. Uh, you read it, you know, it's with, you know, the voices in your own head, but you can imagine what, what it sounds like. And if you watch the Sin City movie, you know, it's one of the, I think, first movies that was, they literally adapted it into film. Mm-hmm. And I liked it the first time I saw it because it was like, oh, wow, this is just like the comic. Uh, but then you watch it, you know, I watched it at home, you know, six months later when it came out on DVD. I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. The dialogue is so stilted and, and it's just, you know, like the misogyny really shows through, too, I think, more <laughs> so in the movie than when you just read the comic and you don't, you don't maybe consciously see it. But now I can't unsee it. But <laughs> so I guess what, I, what I'm getting at is, you know, there's certain things that are, are that comics do really well, and you know, you have to understand it's like you know, you're you're having you know still pictures with sort of the uh, the suggestion of movement, but they ultimately they're all still pictures, and and film moves. You know, they're not still pictures. Uh, dialogue works differently in comics than it does in film, where you have an actor, you know, that can take great dialogue and, you know, bring it to life or, or make it terrible, whatever. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, you do a lot of your own acting when you read a comic book and I, you know, in some of the, some of the workshops I do, I do have screenwriters come and they want to turn their screenplay into a comic and they're not, not every story is made for every medium. I, I would say, sure. I think that, um, you can look at some books that have, I think Boom does it really well because I think that's kind of what what they do with some of their their projects. But the people that are working with Boom Studios, like Joyride, would be a fun movie. Um, but it's a fun comic too. But it, it's it would have to be adjusted and changed, and and things would be different for the film. You know, it, that used to frustrate me too when I was a kid watching watching you know Superman or or Batman. You know that they would change things about the the comic to bring it to film and. I think they didn't always change it for the best back then, but I do I do think that 
you, yeah, you want to understand your strengths, weaknesses, and, and play through those th- strengths and weaknesses, you know? I mean, uh, they're both visual mediums, but with film, you have sound, you have, you know, your, your, your soundtrack, your sound effects. In comics, it strictly is visual. Everything else has to be sort of implied and brought to you by the reader. Mm-hmm. Now, Does that answer your question? <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, yeah. I'd probably like to dive into it a little bit more, um, but sure. first I wanted yeah, to, to touch base on for those who wanted to create a comic just in and of itself and not specifically create a, uh, you know, translate a screenplay into a comic, but actually create a comic, um, what sort of, of things should they know? How can they get it out there? Obviously, publishing a comic, a hard print comic is very expensive yeah. getting it printed up versus doing it, it online or that kind of thing what sort of outlets are there and and where can they take it uh, you know there i know there are uh, independent publishers such as image which will at least look at submissions as long as you have some artwork with it i mean what sort of outlet what do you recommend yeah. to the people who come to your workshop you know these uh and by the way if you live in la uh, I, I just want to promote your workshop if you live in la uh, or yeah. nearby southern california uh, once a month comic uh, bug has these comic creator workshops where Mike and he brings in great guests and it's free. You just go in there and you, you learn how to make comics. So that's awesome. Yeah. I'm sorry. You can answer the question now. I just wanted to pump that up. <laughs> definitely check it out. No, no. Yeah, totally. And you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, the easy answer is yeah, take your book to image and they're going to love it and they're going to publish it. But that, that's probably not the reality. And if you're not, if you haven't done a comic before you have a lot to learn still. So, uh, you know, my first comic wasn't perfect. My second series I did wasn't perfect. Guns of Blazing is not perfect. I'm still learning. Um, and, you know, so I, most of the guys that are published by Image, they've done one or two things at least at a minimum before, you know, we, we see, like, you know, bands that are coming up, they put out demo tapes before, you know, a, a label hears them and decides to release their music. You You have to sort of behind the curtain of anonymity, <laughs> right? you know, fine tune your craft and, and yeah, you're not going to be, you know, just add water instant career. Um, and only the most dedicated, I think, take it, get to that next level because, um, you have to, yeah, you just, you just have to have to do it. And there's a book that I would recommend, uh, you can get it on Amazon now pretty cheap. It's called true facts by Larry Young, who was, mm-hmm. uh, the publisher of, uh, AIT planet lair. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a great book. It, it's a little dated. It's about 15 years old now, maybe. But a lot of the, the things that he shares in there are still pretty relevant. Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, if you can find an artist that will agree to work with you, uh, you know, in a partnership deal, because you, you need money, right? So I have a job. I've always had jobs. I've always, you know, this is my dream. So I've always invested in my dream. I've always set aside, you know, a certain amount knowing that, okay, in September this year, I'm going to be going to press. It's going to cost me this much money about, you know, and, and I've overseen projects where I, I pay artists. So I just, if you can sort of, you know, and I'm not the most business-minded person, but I, I got this down where, you know, if you are paying an artist, sort of structure it so you're not paying them all up front and then they have to do the work. Because, you know, as an artist myself, <laughs> that, that doesn't really lend itself to uh, productivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I, I chop it up. I, if the book is 24 pages long, I chop it up into eight uh, or into three eight-page sort of segments. You, you finish page one through eight, you get paid for page one through eight. If it's, you know if your page rate is 100, 150 bucks, you know whatever you're talking 1,200 dollars. 
Um, and you do that three times over the course of a period of time. And, you know, before you know it, your artist is paid and you're, you know, hopefully you're ready to go to press. I use a, a great printer um, called Choice Printing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is frowned upon, but they, they print in Taiwan. The price is great. Um, we, we print uh, 1,500 copies now of, of uh, Guns of Blazing every time we go to press. And, you know, I understand I'm not going to sell all 1,500 of those books in, overnight or in the course of three months. You know, I recently just went back to press on issue one. We sold out of our, our first printing of issue one. Uh, but, you know, we printed that in 2013. Right. But that's saying something that, that, you know, we went through that many comics. You know, of course, I kept 50 aside for, you know, for my mom. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and it's just getting out there, getting out to conventions, uh, creating excitement about your project uh, by any means necessary. Um, and, uh, you know, making the best comics you can make. Um, and, and I look at Guns Blazing and, and I can see sort of the the um I, I would say the transformation of what I used to do, uh, like with Mac Afro and my second series Gone South and, and what we do now. And, you know, I, I again I don't think I'm perfect. I think that I understand the medium a lot more now and, and uh you know, the relationship that Raphael and I have, the sort of creative brotherhood that we have is really I think you you can it's sort of palpable when you read the book. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so I mean yeah, it's it's it is a business, but it's also, again, it's a dream, and it's, it's, to me, a privilege to be able to tell these stories and, and get them out there, and actually, there's a, a bunch of people out there that actually give a shit about it, you know, and right. uh, look us up at conventions and stuff, and, you know, it takes us a little longer than I'd like to, uh, to get the issues out. It takes us, you know, anywhere from six months to sometimes a year between issues, but we we... When I did Mac Afro, I did it bi-monthly, and it was the most grueling sort of process to get that book out every other month. And right. I think that you know some of the quality suffered for it, uh, and certainly the the friendships suffered, the relationships that we had. Sorry, the phone's ringing. I'm calling you guys from Bug. Um, you know, and we're good now. We're actually going to do another Mac Afro next year, but we're not going to kill ourselves like getting out in a 30-day period of time. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Did that answer your question? I, I feel like I maybe didn't, but um, the, answer, the short answer is do it yourself. Uh, that way you're learning. And then right. when a company like Image or Boom Studios or Tokyo Pop agrees to, you know, put your stuff out, you are also, you know, sort of the ins and outs of the business behind the scenes. Like, right. you know, maybe maybe you know about how to get distribution from Diamond Comics, the only U.S. distributor of comics. And you, I think you'll appreciate more what those companies bring to your project, you know, when, right. when you're featured in the image section of previews and, you know, you, you have their, their marketing team and stuff backing you up that you, you, you'll see how hard it is to do it yourself. And then that's only going to turbocharge you when, you know, when the big guys come and say, Hey, let's, let's work together. Right. Now talking about printing a comic, let's say someone uh, wants to create a comic, doesn't want to do it online. Obviously, mm-hmm. at the earliest stage of their career, they're not getting bites from Boom or Image or uh, whoever. What sort? What's sort of the minimum cost once the issue is actually completed? In terms of you know they've got their artwork, they've it's lettered, it's it's whatever printer ready, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, what mm-hmm. What is the the least amount of money 
a, a, a comic creator could expect to spend to actually get printed copies to try to, you know, get onto uh, store shelves or wherever they're going to, you know, go to sell at comic conventions, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, well, there's there's different uh, ways to do it. There's, you know, Kablam, which is a print-on-demand company. Mm. Um, uh, and I haven't used them, but I, I think I've heard their, their cost per unit. It's like a flat rate. It's like three bucks or something like that. Right. Don't quote me on that. Check okay. Kablam. <laughs> uh, the way I do it, though, you know, we, we use choice printing, and my cost per unit on printing is somewhere around a dollar fifty per book. Now we print quantity. We print you know fifteen hundred copies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know a lot of the guys starting out they they do fifty copies or they do you know three hundred copies or whatever um, because you know they that's what they feel they can sell you know given whatever convention opportunities or whatever. But you you want to look at more of a long tail you know sort of approach you. You're not going to make your money back instantly. Um, you know, it could take five years. Uh, but are you dedicated to to telling your stories? Are you going to do? Are you going to do like a one one shot and be done? Are you are you in this for the long haul? Where you know you see you know two three years down the road, you've got anywhere from five to ten issues, and you're going out to sh- to shows like when we when we had Guns of Blazing One, yeah, we just had that first issue, and and so the most you know, we could generate from a customer unless they were crazy and bought multiple copies was $5. Right, <laughs> right. price. You know, but now when we go to a show, we have, uh, you know, we have four issues to choose from and, and we offer a package deal. So, you know, if you buy three issues, one through three, you get the fourth three. So for $15, you get all four. And, and like suddenly, you know, we do much better at shows. And sure. but that was because, you know, I'm in a position and, if I if I can express to creative people out there uh, anything is to put yourself in this position where your art isn't keeping you alive. Get yourself you know get yourself some sort of career, some sort of job, and then you can you can you know, sort of um, nurture your art on the side until it is to that point where it's self sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen a lot of my anti-crowdsourcing things uh, right. out there, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, again, it's like, it's, I want, it's not because I hate these things, but it's because I want the creators to be, I want it to be a, a thing that's not like you can do a Kickstarter and then, you know, you got your money and your book is out. But if you want to do your next book, you have to do another kick. So you have to do another fun. And eventually, you know, that's, that's going to, you know, I think it, it is becoming passe for a lot of people, but, you know, eventually people get tired of hearing that, you know, not to get on the soapbox, but if you have a job or some other stream of income that is that you can rely on, then you can rely on being able to put your stuff out and in a way that, you know, you, is true independence, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We posted recently... Um, a little piece by uh, Josh Dysart, which was the 12 points for writing comics. So for people who aren't familiar with writing comics, at least some things to keep in mind when writing a comic book. So I wanted to to find out from you, Mike, what are your 12 points or some points uh, that new comic book writers should keep in mind when writing their first comic? Sure. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. I don't know if uh, there are points. There are certainly tips and tricks that I use. 
I don't know if I have 12 of them. I probably could list 50 if I sat and thought about it. But uh, <laughs> the number one thing I do is, uh, you know, I take my Geek Stationery, which is a blank backing board, <laughs> and I do a, a little, almost like a graph. So think about the physicality of a comic and when you read a comic. So when you open a comic, when you open the cover, you know, or when, at least on my books, the inside front cover, we have our credits, but, you know, your first page is known as a, a splash page often, right? It's it's an it's an image that grabs you that hopefully, you know, makes you want to dive into the rest of the book, right? Along mm-hmm. with the cover. Uh, so on my backing board, I just have the number one. And then under that, I go two, three. And then under that, I go four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And most of my comics are 24 pages. And so, so until I get to... 2324. So I have this this sort of just it's like a, a list, right? A, mm-hmm. a numerical list. And then I start writing my scenes. Like, okay, page one, we see the universe and we're gonna pontificate on time travel. Page two, three, a sci-fi battle at the Alamo. Page four, five, Cody tries to wake Eduardo up. You know, we meet our main characters for the first time. Eduardo sees this woman, it freaks him out. So you, you at the end of the day you have or at the end of the however long your writing session is, you have essentially 13 scenes, okay? Um, sometimes those scenes run for four pages, but I try to keep it bouncing, try to keep it fun. And then from there, I kind of get into the groovy details of what, what happens in those scenes. But that's that's really what I start with. And that keeps, to me, that keeps the momentum of your story going. Mm-hmm. It it makes, because a lot of writers, they I see them do, and like on 24-hour comic day, I see people do this too. And, you know, they're under the gun. They're trying to get a 24-page comic done in 24 hours, and they'll start just writing the story and, and um, you know, drawing. So artists, writer-artists are, are worse because they'll just start drawing, you know? Right. And you'll be know where it's going. And sometimes that works out, right? You don't know where it's going, and it surprises you. Right. Uh, and sometimes it's like they're on page 15, and they're like, holy shit, I've just written myself into this corner. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a good challenge. I'm not saying that it's the right or the wrong way to do it, but the trick I do is is that sort of um, numbered thing. And, you know, I think it, it works for me, and I, I've shared it with people, and I think it works for them. Um, another sort of tip about writing comics is that your your script, it's, yeah, it's, it's about the end product, but really it's a communication uh, first and foremost with your artist. You want to excite your artist into drawing, into dedicating hours and hours, slaving over the words you've written and, uh, you know, making it fun for him or her because then that shows in the final work. If I, You can look at a book sometimes and see, I don't know how the hell Dave Gibbons made Watchmen so good. Right. <laughs> but, you know, like you can see where an artist can be stifled by the writer's sort of, uh, you know, need for precision to the very word of every detail of his script. And, you know, I, I, my creative relationships aren't, aren't like that. I, I uh, kind of write to an artist's strength. I, you know, I, I, I'm in a lucky position where I can just work with people that I know and vibe with um, and write to their, to their abilities and to their interests and, and to what, what they do, you know? Right. Um, you know, if uh, Kurt Cobain wrote lyrics for Van Halen songs, they'd sound terrible. I love Nirvana and Van Halen. Yes, they're just accordingly, right? Right. Um, so that's there's two tricks, uh, ten more, right? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, you, you know, I wrote this uh, 
screenplay once that, like, it was a four short film. I was in film class back in college and was about this girl who, like, committed suicide and her boyfriend was blamed for her murder and it was called the Juliet Syndrome. And uh, there was a scene where they're in the cemetery and she's, like, looking up into the stars and she's like, oh, do you see those black rainbows? And I, re- I read that now and it's like, oh, I just cringe. Don't get so caught up in the magic of your words because <laughs> you know, sometimes it can be rather cringeworthy. <laughs> so, I, you know, I try to keep my uh, poetry out of my comics now. Um, so there's three. Uh, if I well, think of any more, yeah, because yeah, this could take a while. Well, no, other than uh, what you would mention, like uh, starting – uh, drawing or writing before you kind of know where it's going and, and without sort of figuring it out beforehand. What sort of other common mistakes do you see uh, newer comic book creators, writers uh, doing uh, at your workshops and things like that? Like most common mistakes, well, like you see it and you're like, yeah, that's stamp par for the course. Yeah. This is a better way of doing it. Not necessarily in workshops, but in some of the comics that people bring in. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, uh, and too much dialogue. I mean, you, again, this is a visual medium, and mm-hmm. you know, especially we're talking here like you know, sort of unknown creators, writers, and stuff. And don't fall too much in love with your own words that you aren't willing to let the artwork breathe. Um, you know, you see this in a lot of, you know, especially with the the unedited. Like, there's no editor overseeing it, and it's just a guide. And you know, I'm guilty of this too. I I don't have an editor really overlooking me too much. Richard Starkings kind of lightly edits the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's something I'm very conscious of. I, I try to, you know, keep my word balloons uh, down to the size of a tweet, <laughs> you know? Right. Because, yeah, you can, you, you want to let, let the, the art breathe. You want to let, every, you know, the story have the momentum. Um, so that was, that's probably the most common mistake. Another mistake I see is, uh, you know, I would say amateur lettering. Like, you can have great artwork, you can have a great story. Right. Um, but then the lettering, it's like, if, if it's not professional and, and clean and easy to read and, uh, you know, the word balloons are, you know, sort of misshapen or not necessarily pointing in the right directions, um, it's like looking through a dirty window at possible <laughs> beautiful things. Like it, it really can take you out. Of, of the story. So uh, the early stuff I did, I actually lettered it myself and made all those mistakes I just told you about, too much dialogue and you know, bad lettering and this and that. Um, but now it's like, you know what? That took me forever. It didn't look as good. You, you know, you, you can probably expect to pay between 25 to maybe $40 for a professional letter per page. Mm. But to me, it's worth it. Like, be willing to spend the money to you know, sort of lighten some of your load and give some of those chores over to somebody who's much more talented than myself in that regard of lettering. Right. Um, and, and it's worth it. I mean, production value. Yeah. What if um, someone is interested in totally doing it themselves, meaning uh, write uh, pencil, ink, uh do the lettering, put it all in print ready format. What are some of the tools they're going to need? Cause I know, you know, back in the day they used just the big, uh, you know, uh, boards where you just draw and use pens and pen- pencils and, you know, inks and, and that kind of thing. And you use like they attach yeah. the letters by little, you know, uh, little 
I don't know what lithograph things they attached on there that were like hand lettered. But now a lot of it's done uh, electronically. Yeah. Um, what, what sort of tools would someone need if they just said, you know what, I want to do this myself. This is my passion. I want to do it myself. Uh, everything. It, you know, I mean, with, with technology nowadays, yes, it, it is a lot more. Uh, it's much more of a possibility to be able to do everything yourself. Uh, I would, I would still say you're crazy, but hey, <laughs> crazy people make great stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug my friend Richard Starking's company, Comicraft. They mm-hmm. sell like the best fonts you can get, you know. Um, or you can even hire them to, but you want to do it yourself. So, uh, but yeah, you'll, you're, you're gonna need some fonts. Unless you're going to hand letter it, which is insane. Right. Um, but people do. People do it. Uh, so I would recommend getting a couple fonts to use. Um, digital coloring. Learn Learn Illustrator. Learn Photoshop. Uh, these are all things I don't know how to do. <laughs> but, right. you know, Raphael does. The artist, he, he uh, colors in, in uh, Photoshop. Um, you're going to need to learn that technology. Uh, and, um, you know... Outside of that, there's just the basic sort of uh, Comics 101 of, you know, maybe read Will Eisner's Guide to Graphic Storytelling or, or Understanding Comics because there are, you know, there's there's a thing called page flow and there's, you know, you don't want to have too many panels on the page and you want to let certain moments, uh, you know, breathe more or have more impact by bigger panels, understanding the power of a, of a close-up, of, you know, with facial expressions and, and all that stuff. Um so, but yeah, I mean, this, if, if you if you got the chops to draw, and you have your storytelling chops, you know, those are the two most primal things you need in in making comics. And everything else can be can be bought or you know subsidized. So. Right. Now, in terms of of other templates on uh, Photoshop, is that how it's done? In terms of like, or do you just hand draw that- it and then just scan it in, or how how was that done? Yeah, that's an artist question. I I don't know. I know there are programs too. There's a I can't remember exactly the name, but I know it's got manga in it, like Manga Verse or something like that, where you can, you know, it's it's a template where you can go in and you know actually plug your panels in and set up your page design and everything. Um, that's a question for another creator. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I I know I know the writing end. I know the editing end. Um, I know how to, how to, you know, publish as far as how to get it printed and, and I know distribution. So, yeah. Right. Well, we'll find the links, you know, uh, and yeah, yeah, post yeah. it on the website so everyone can, can see it. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, totally. yeah, so be sure to check out the website. We'll have links for all this stuff so that you can, uh, check out, uh, you know, all the things that we're talking yeah, about. I'll Google it later and, and tell you, but it's got manga and it's manga okay. ties. Yeah. And yeah. you don't, you know, just because it's got the word manga doesn't necessarily mean it's you know, exclusive for manga only. You right, can, right. You can, you know, whatever in there. So, yeah. Right. Um, and uh, that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. So, um, it, Halloween's coming up. And yeah. I wanted to talk to you about uh, what what good horror comics are out there right now. Anything? Hold on one second. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, good horror comics. You know what? Let me, I'm, I'm in the game hub right now. Yeah. So let me go over to the comic book side, and I'll tell you what what good horror comics. I mean, The Wake jumps to mind, but that's a few years old now. That was Scott Snyder. Yeah. Uh, Lock and Key is always a go-to. Uh, horror, horror. Black Eyed Kids from uh from from AfterShock is a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go, Frank Avila does the covers. It's nice, sort of uh, uh, you know, like sort of 
not the Stepford Wives, but what you know, Invasion of the Body Snatcher kind of stuff. Um, what else is good? Uh, Eric Powell. This is this is a hillbilly horror, but he has a book called Hillbilly. That's hmm. uh, it's more of a comedy horror thing. Okay. I'm a big fan of. <laughs> um, yeah, shoot. You would think I could just spring stuff out of my mouth here. Can you edit this? Supergirls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if, you know what? If you like Stranger Things, which a lot of people love Stranger Things, yeah, I, would, yeah. I would highly recommend Paper uh, Girls by Brian K. Vaughn. Oh, yeah. It, it's a horror comic, a, you know, it's horror sci-fi with that sort of 80s, uh, 80s vibe going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think that might be... Horror is not my go-to genre. I'm more of a sci-fi guy. Sure. Um, but well, okay. yeah, I mean, those are, those are good horror books. And Gone South, if you can find back issues of Gone South, that's my uh, vampire. Okay. Oh, Department 82. Uh, that's an underwater horror story by Matt King. What is it called? Department H, but Department if you, H. yeah, if you're not looking close, mm-hmm. like it looks like it's called Depths when you're, you know, oh, you're underwater. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, that, that's cool. a great book. He's, yeah. he's, I think he's the, probably the smartest writer in comics right now. He did a, he did a graphic novel called Revolver which was about a guy, every, he would like, go to bed every night at 11, 11 p.m. and wake up in this post-apocalyptic world. Hmm. But then, you know, when he would come out of his slumber, he would be back in the real world where he hates his boss and his life is mundane and stuff. Right. Uh, and he starts playing the real world against this, you know, quote-unquote post-apocalyptic dream world. Wow. Uh, excellent graphic novel. And, and it's got a little news seat that runs along the bottom. Mm-hmm. So like oh. when he's in real world, it's like, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce have a fight in an elevator, but post-apocalyptic world's like, hey, you know, radiation levels in Kentucky are at an all-time high. It's right. really kind of cool. <laughs> kind of gives you a, a perspective on what's important sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know you get that. You probably get asked this a lot, I'm assuming. Um, for somebody who, because we do have uh, a lot of writers of different mediums who may not have much experience with with comic books and graphic novels they you know they're aspiring screenwriters or or um, uh, playwrights uh, that sort of thing what yes. are a few good comic books that you would recommend i know it's all genre specific interest taste specific mm-hmm. but somebody who doesn't has never read a comic book per se and, and wants to get sort of into it without saying oh well i'm a big sci-fi fan or i'm a horror fan or i'm a superhero fan um, just sort of in general, what has really good storytelling that somebody from who isn't familiar with comics can really get into and see, okay, this is really good comic book storytelling. This is what really shows differences in the medium that I can kind of grasp. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, my go-to would be uh, Stray Bullets or okay. anything by Dave Lapham. Yeah. I mean, he did a, a graphic novel called Silverfish, too, that's really good, and Murder Me Dead. But his main book is Stray Bullets, and it's, you know, again, it takes place in the 80s. I must really love the 80s. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's very sort of, you know, Pulp Fiction-esque in that, you know, a character might be in the foreground in one issue uh, or, or in the background at a party, you know, just smoking a joint and eating Cheetos. And then in the next issue, it's told from his perspective, and you find out he's got a dead hooker in his trunk at the party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, yeah, it's and it, he mixes... He mixes like some of the most sort of brutal crime stuff you can imagine with um, sort of the, the innocent, fun-loving eyes of kids growing up in the 80s. Um, that's, that's sort of his recurring theme in that book. 
but you know that I think each issue, each each page is a six-panel grid, so mm-hmm. it's a fun sort of way to sort of structure himself, and and you see the strength of his uh, storytelling. I think through that too. It's uh, I mean yeah, they would, those would be easily translated into uh, you know a TV show or a movie, and and the acting I think in the comic is is, is dead on. Uh, so I would say for screenwriters wanting to see how to you know, tell a story in comics. That would be, that's a good transition one. Uh, also, very specific to to the craft of of Hollywood meets comics. Fortune and Glory by Brian Michael Bendis. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's great. It's it's uh, it's autobiographical, but it, it's about uh, Bendis. One of his early comics he did was called Torso. Uh, mm-hmm. You know about that one? It's like it was about the Black Dolly or what? But it was based on a real murder case. And uh, it was it made the rounds in Hollywood. It was being optioned, and, and so he comedically details a lot of those meetings and stuff, and going around and just you know dealing with execs. And it's it's a pretty funny read. Um, uh, what else? Is good? I mean, I love Rick Remender. He's my he's my favorite writer, and his book Fear Agent is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of captures that sort of Bruce Campbell esque uh, Army of Darkness energy, but puts it in a in a Buck Rogers skin, uh, right. you know, to, you know, fifties and sixties sci-fi and horror comics. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that Remender used to be a comic artist first. So right. he understands now as a writer, what it is to work with artists and how to sort of direct artists in a way that, you know, they really flourish and, and do some of their best work under his writing. So, which goes back to that, what I was saying earlier, like you're writing for your artist first and foremost, when you're writing that script. Right. Yeah, and because especially you're asking somebody else to, you're instructing them how to draw what you have written, and that's right. Sounds simple, but it's actually not because you know a car driving down the street without enough detail could be a million different things, could be shown a million different ways if you're not specific. Right, right. But you don't want to be too specific, too. I mean, you don't want to, you know, I, I stifle creativity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I over I mean one one project in particular I was working with uh two two screenwriters and and they wanted to do like a visual pitch comic. And yeah, I mean they drove my artist crazy cuz and this was this was one of the things where it was a learning process for me because you know, I was working for them and I went and found this artist so that you know, they were paying me artists and they were like, you know, First, you want to work from thumbnails. The artists would do these thumbnails, mm-hmm. and you know they would get approved, or sometimes they would have notes and, and whatever. But we we'd get the final thumbnail finally, and then the writers would be like, "Well, what if you know they panned over here, or can they zoom in on this, or zoom out on that, or you know I want to I want to jump cut to this," and you know I, so I would try to accommodate with with the artist, and finally the artist is like, "Dude." this has to stop. I'm going to jump off a fucking roof. It just keeps going like this. I, I cannot <laughs> adjust every single panel to the minutia that, you know, they want. They needed to tell me this in the thumbnail stage. So finally I was like, I had to tell the guys, I was like, Hey, you know, if, if you want this thing to get done, you have to, you have to kind of back off a little bit. Cause the artist was actually making, and he was an image comic artist. He'd been published a couple times, really good artist. Uh, you know, also works in storyboards and animation. Um, so it wasn't like he didn't know what he was doing, and he was actually 
I think making decisions that made their ideas better, but they were so married to what they had written that they weren't willing to let them breathe. And I think that's a huge mistake. Uh, you know, that a lot of, I'm sure a lot of writers make, you know, I mean, right. I've, I've seen it time and time again, like, you know, these creative relationships that, like, I would say that the, the stages of a bad creative relationship is writer desperately wants to find somebody to draw their, their idea, you know, find somebody they're excited, then they start making the thing and, you know, sometimes maybe neither party knows exactly what they're doing. <laughs> uh, and then the micromanaging starts and then the artist is suddenly uninspired and then the projects die on the vine oftentimes. So. Right. Right. Um, I know there's a very close connection between film and TV and comic books. We've been talking about it, but I kind of wanted to just touch one more subject matter and that's because you had mentioned it it's something that you had talked about previously like some material doesn't sort of translate well whether it's uh, a screenplay a book uh, a, a play that doesn't mm -hmm. translate well necessarily to comic books can you maybe uh, talk a little bit about what sorts of material do you think that you've seen would translate well versus things that may not translate as well to being yeah. sort of translated into a comic book. Well, I think that um, nobody's doing it better as far as adapting comics into film right now than sure. than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Um, you know, confession: I was never a huge fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge Doctor Strange fan. Mm -hmm. uh, but man, I'm excited to see that movie. I'm, I'm you know, I mean, yeah, Steve Ditko could draw amazing. He did, he did draw amazing pictures, and, and Frank Brunner and, and some of the people who worked on Doctor Strange, you know. But you can do anything in comics, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now, with with this movie, I mean, I mean, it looks absolutely mind-bending. And you know, I mean, the movie theater screen is a lot bigger than a comic book page. Sure. So I think they're taking, you know, a lot of the elements of this character and making something that, you know, is going to be spectacular. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy was the same thing. It, it you know, the soundtrack, the acting, um, the Earth, like the 1990s series, of course, that wasn't with Star-Lord. That was with a whole different team. Uh, but it was kind of stiff. And I always liked the visual of Star-Lord, and I always tried to get into the comic, the Star-Lord, you know, when he would, he would appear in Marvel premiere and stuff. And he didn't he didn't have that spunk that that he has in the movie. So I think that you know finding the right actor to to breathe life into a character. If you read old Star Lord comics, they're pretty stiff and kind of um, uh, there's like some theology involved there and stuff. It was <laughs> it was kind of yeah, I'm gonna say boring to me, you know. And, sure. and but so those those are two prime examples of you know something done extremely well. And and that sparked an interest in Guardians of the Galaxy that I brought, you know, back. Now I love the comics, I, you know, and, but they, they kind of follow the spirit of what those, uh, what those movies had, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, th that's when it's done absolutely right. Of course, we all have moaned and groaned about Superman, Batman a bit too much, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's an instance where it's n not done quite as well, you know? And, and uh, yeah, so um, I don't, I don't know where to point the finger on that, but, it does happen where things are successfully adapted very well. Yeah. Right. Um, that actually was sort of my next question in terms of like, what do you like now that has been 
sort of translated like you know the walking dead versus you know superman mm-hmm. versus batman kind of thing so you've sort of answered that question my original question maybe wasn't phrased correctly but like if uh i wrote a uh, a one-man play versus i wrote a big action comedy between two cop buddy cop you know what sort of material like original material that a novelist or a playwright or a, a screenwriter has written do you think would potentially make what you know what makes the best uh comic books from outside material being translated in versus uh what do you do you think you know a writer of again a one-man play may not translate well to to a comic book like translating into so a what, comic what book. translates from another medium into comic correct books? yeah yeah uh, I think the Star Wars comics that Marvel's putting out. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to sound like a Marvel zombie here, but <laughs> uh, but no, Star Wars comics are are amazing. I mean, you know, unfortunately, we can't make a new movie with a younger Harrison Ford now. But uh, the way they've captured the sort of energy of of what those actors would bring to the uh, to the old Star Wars movies, I think it's fantastic. And and the stories are fun. Uh, Darth Vader just wrapped up. That was a great series. Um, most of the Star Wars comics are firing pretty much on all cylinders, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as for indie stuff, I don't think there's a you know Boom Studios does like the Back to the Future, and they do some fun things like the um, Escape from Little China meets or, or Big Trouble in Little China meets Escape from New York, which they probably should have called it Escape from Little China, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, they missed the boat on that. Uh, but yeah, that's a good, that's a fun book. Um, uh, but for the most part, indie comics, they're not doing a lot of bringing things from one medium over into into comics. They're mostly doing their own thing. I mean, I haven't read the Back to the Future stuff and the, or Transformers, but, you know, I mean, I mean it looks fine. But I, I guess my nostalgia for those uh, doesn't carry over to me actually picking up their books. We carry them at the store. You know, oh, you know, oh this, is, this is sort of a insular sort of reinvention but the the archie stuff is really cool that's coming out now like the afterlife with archie and mm-hmm. have you have you checked those out i haven't yet no and i know there isn't there yeah. a cw series coming out yeah i just saw the poster for it it cracked me up because it looks like a a, a horror show it's yeah it's really supposed to be dark and stuff <laughs> like that which is a dark sort yeah, of teen thing so thing, but yeah i mean you know uh the mark way the reinvention that, that came out uh that came out a year ago it's fun because we, you know, Archie's America's favorite teenager, but you know, it, the stories have been always been pretty much in the same exact style as they were in the fifties. And this is the first, well, Afterlife with Archie was the first time they they did anything different to kind of update. And I would say that they've been tackling some good, some pretty important social issues in the years before with like Kevin Keller and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I mean, this these these recent books are Archie by Mark Wade and Fiona Staples and Afterlife and Sabrina. It's like they're more embracing the modern comic format than sort of what, you know, would fit in a Sunday funnies, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's a cool sort of reinvention, I would say. Um, we have a section of the podcast where we like to find out what you're reading watching playing uh, you know if you have any sort of if you're playing any sort of games or anything uh and what you're okay. listening to uh whether it's music oh, or podcasts yeah. or audiobooks whatever it happens to be uh so yeah, i want to yeah, find out I, what you're reading 
watching, playing, and listening to. <laughs> so reading with that, with that, uh, that would be comics, right? Or comics or books, magazines. It can be anything. Yeah, well, I mean, I read things like back issue magazines. I read rock and roll biographies. But currently, I'm not reading any of those. Uh, but I do read Spider Gwen. I love Spider Gwen. Uh, Seven New Eternity, the new Rick Remender book. I mean, anything Rick Remender, uh, which would include Deadly Class, Black Science, Seven mm-hmm. to Eternity, uh, Tokyo Ghost. I think they're all great. Uh, Elephant Men's a really good book. Um, and it's sort of reaching, I think he's got maybe eight issues or ten issues left. Um, and he's, he's, a, he's a personal friend of mine, but I like the way he uses that universe to kind of explore so many different... I mean, the, the last issue that just came out is, is like unmistakably an ode to Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it, it, it looks so much like Doctor Strange. And, you know, it <laughs> takes place in the world of Elephant Men. Uh, and, you know, the Elephant Men characters are there, but it's, yeah, it's a Doctor Strange comic. And, you know, Richard kind of, you know, when he has a, a, a whim to do something like that, he's not afraid to do it. And it's usually pretty good because he's, he's got a great perspective on the industry. Um, oh, I forgot to mention Low, where we are all living underwater now because the, the surface is uninhabitable. Mm. Uh, Eclipse, um, again, the, the we, we can only come out at night because when the sun, we're so close to the sun now that we the, the surface world is unbearable. So I guess a lot of this sort of post-apocalyptic stuff. Um, I, Scott Snyder's Batman run just wrapped up, and I thought it was fantastic. Uh, but it's over now, so uh, now he's, he's doing All-Star Batman, and it's good, but I, I just missed the magic of, of the original. Power Man and Iron Fist is excellent. Have, or have you read that? No, not the new one, no. They, you know, I'm a huge fan of old school, like, you know, Master of Kung Fu, Power Man and Iron Fist, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, over the last, you know, 20 years, they've tried to bring it back a few times, and they always would try to tweak it or give some sort of modern spin, but... Power Man Iron Fist has the vibe of the old 80s comics and, and sort of a buddy cop thing going with uh, Luke Cage and, uh, and, and Danny Rand. Mm-hmm. And their, their relationship is just hilarious. And it's written by David Walker, who oh, cool. uh, I worked with a long time ago on a Mac after one shot. Oh. Uh, but yeah, he really gets these characters. And, and when you get a, a writer that really gets the characters, then you know there's a huge potential for fun. You know? Right, right. Um, so yeah, so that's it. And the Star Wars comics. Um, so that's what I'm reading. Uh, what I'm Star- watching. Star Wars? I never heard of it. What is that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Watching. Yeah. What I'd like to be watching is Cage, but uh, I, yeah. first I have to get through. Uh, man, there's just so many things, you know. Um, I know. I'm the same way with Daredevil, both comics and with TV. Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on season one of Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear all these incredible things about the other things. Uh, and what I really did, you know, I've never binged anything before. It's always a nice idea to, oh man, I wish I could do that, but, sure. um, never sitting down more than three hours at a time. Right. But I did, I binged, uh, I binged Ash vs. Evil Dead season one. I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are two things. Um, uh, but I watch a lot of like, like a lot of stuff I watch, quote unquote watch, I just put on in the background while I do other things at home, you know? Right. Be it writing a new comic or uh, you know putting together a guest list for a convention or whatever. Um, right. So like that, so that tends to be like concerts, like Pearl Jam or Face No More concerts. Or so. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what I'm listening to, I really dig the new Garbage album. Okay. Uh, yesterday I picked up a, a a box set for a Big Star. You know the band Big Star. 
Mm, I've heard of them. I don't know if I. They're one of those bands. They're like that. They're like a artist artist band. Uh, you know, a lot of like REM are huge fans of those guys. Gotcha. But uh, they never really broke through. There's a great documentary that came out. I have, can't remember the name of it, but uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good. It's a, it's a good view. And yeah, part part of their magic is that yeah, they were so good, but nobody really. They never got the recognition. So their third album was their last. And uh, they just put out this box set called The Complete Third. Because mm-hmm. it's been released in many different iterations. Ne- never really officially until like five years after it was completed in the 70s. Uh, but this has every sort of version, every song, every, you know, some a lot of unreleased stuff. And then, yeah, it's great. I highly recommend it. Right. Okay, cool. Um, and playing? What are you playing? Anything? Uh, like... I mostly play video games with my kid, my son, okay. Graham. Yeah. Um, so we play the Star Wars Lego game. We play um, Battlefront. Uh, what else? I think those are the two main ones. Um, cool. A friend of mine just gave me the the Lego Infinity stuff, but I haven't popped that on them yet because you know, <laughs> try to try to you know sort of regulate the amount of video games. Right. I've played. Right. There's a there's a phone app game that he's hit me to. It's the most violent sort of grotesque fun game called Happy Wheels that uh, we play a lot of. So. What yeah, what is it, what is involved with happy wheels? Do you run people over or something? Huh? Uh, you are you're anything from an old man in a wheelchair to a geeky dude on a Segway, huh. and it's an obstacle course that's hyper violent. <laughs> <laughs> you can be right. one of the little characters as a guy on a on a on a bicycle with his kid on on the back seat. You know, on the you know the little kid seats that go on the back mm-hmm. of the bike. Yeah. And yeah, usually one of the first things that happens is the kid gets knocked off the back seat and impaled on spikes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I I have I can thank my son for uh, introducing nice. me to that. Nice. Yeah. Um. And uh, Halloween coming up. Uh. What are you dressing up as? What is Graham dressing up as? And what we what will the Wellman household be handing out for Halloween treats? <laughs> Well, um, Graham and I will be out trick or treating. Uh, I had I don't know what I'm gonna wear. He's gonna be Paul Blart Mall Cop. Oh, cool! I, uh, his his mom is yeah. uh, his mom is putting together this this I guess he taking his scooter mm-hmm. and turning it into a quote unquote segue, and yeah, he really wants to be Paul Blart. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, I'm not just. You know, I'm not married anymore. I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, yeah. but yeah, we, we're we're gonna take some trick or treating, and uh, I don't know what I'm gonna wear yet. Um, I need to. I'm not the most imaginative when it comes to costumes, like a lot of my cosplay friends are. So I'll probably just go to like a Halloween store and pick up something that looks fun and <laughs> you know, not offensive. Hopefully, I uh, <laughs> no promises. We just talked to um, Marcus Dunstan, who is uh, the. He wrote a bunch of the Saw movies, and he oh, asked him about Halloween costumes, and he had told me a great one, which I'm going to pass on to you, just you know, in case you want to keep it uh, as a backup plan, where okay. he took uh, I don't know some big gigantic futon mattress and cut a hole in it, and basically turned he became a, a human uh, a futon bed, and he went to parties as a futon bed, and he said it was the worst experience ever because people would like push him down and try to lay on top of him and things like that. So. Yeah. That sounds that sounds like a lot of a lot of work and, and heavy. You know, I, yeah. I tend to uh, you know when I when we do conventions and stuff, I tend to go for less clothing rather than more. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Especially in California, you can get away with that. Yeah, you're out here, right? You're in California. You're in San yeah. Diego, or no? I'm in yeah. LA. Yeah, I'm I'm oh, not in LA. Culver City store. 
which is why I'm always like, oh, hey, cool. coming up to your Culver City store, or hey, are you doing any signings at your Culver City store? And you're like, no, nope, it's Manhattan Beach every time. Yeah, well, the, 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 that shop is a little bit small. Although yeah. I don't know if you noticed, there have been there have been more there lately. We've had a couple signings there this last month, um, and and we have some more on the horizon. But yeah, we we've been you know pumping it up over there a little bit. Yeah. Here. More, I mean, we have more, such, so much more space here in Manhattan Beach, and yeah, you know, it's like three times yeah. the size. Uh, maybe probably more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not good with measurements, but yeah, so uh, you know, it, it, we we try to spread the love all around. Yeah, and on Free Comic Day, you know, oh yeah, it, we're it's tricky, uh, but Culver City gets, I would say, 75 percent of the love on Free Comic Day. But yeah, I know it, for it that, does. Because you have that. Con- yeah, it, yeah, it's uh, it's more center. central to everybody in L.A. So people don't understand that Manhattan Beach is only, unless you're living in the South Bay, you don't realize that Manhattan Beach is only about five minutes south of LAX. So it's not that far. Right. But, you know, when I ask creators that live in L.A., hey, do you want to come inside? They're like, oh man, that's so far away. It's like Orange County, isn't it? It's like, no, dude, <laughs> it's, you know, just just south of Inglewood. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so you know, it, it, Culver City gets its love, but it's all concentrated on. on Comic yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, LA Comic Con, I wanted to to mention that you, I know you help organize or something. You've got a lot going on there. It's uh, Friday, yeah. October twenty eighth through the thirtieth. And if people are going to LA Comic Con, uh, they should definitely look for you there. Um, but maybe you can talk a little bit about. We'll be easy to find because uh, we have a pavilion. So if you look up to the ceiling, there will be a huge banner that says Comic Bug Pavilion, and. Yeah. Uh, I just actually worked on the list. Can I read off who all we're going to have? Yeah, absolutely. And LA Comic Con, for those who don't know, I was just made aware that it was used to be Kamikaze, Stanley's Kamikaze, now it's Stanley's LA Comic Con. Yeah, they just changed the name this year. Yeah, it's a name change. Um, I I think that's just, you know, so it's unmistakable that it's a comic convention. I'd have to ask Regina, but I'm sure there's some reasoning behind it, but it's, it's known as Stan Lee's Los Angeles Comic-Con. Right. And, and uh, actually, we were there last year, and we got a lot of interviews with you and a lot of people at the pavilion. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's on our YouTube those... channel, if anyone's interested, yeah. Yeah, you can see our our, uh, our stage show, our snake oil men's stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the, uh, Regina's awesome. She, she helped me uh, last year in organizing um, our free comic book day. Mm. Uh, and you really, because she had done conventions before I hadn't, and she she hit me to a lot of the sort of potential um, problems we could have as far as like traffic flow and all this stuff, and right. really you know kind of saved my ass in, in some ways. So I asked her, you know, what can I do? Do I owe you some money, or what can I do to pay you back? And she's like, no, just just bring some awesome creators to our show, and I'll you know give you a pavilion and. You you fill it with the people you think are are some of the best in L.A. and uh, or you know if they're not in L.A. you know run it by me maybe I can fly some people out so we flew Sia Uma out last year mm-hmm. um, I don't think I think I you know I proposed a few people to, to fly in but the the people couldn't do it for one reason or the other right uh, but here's who I do have it's a list of 32 people I'll just try to do it real fast we yeah. have uh, Yehudi Mercado Dan Fraga Dave Crossland Mike Huddleston Steve Niles Rafael Navarro and Renee Geerling, Shannon Lee, Brandon Easton, Don Walker, Ray Anthony Height, Barbara Kiesel, Kevin Altieri, Tanya Bjork, Joey Foster, TJ Troy, Brad Rader, Nick Moreno, Megan Hutchison, the Yawn Twins, you know, those guys from Observe and Report, mm. uh, the, the Asian Twins, they, mm-hmm. they, uh, they, they, they make comics then. Oh. Um, Mary Naomi, TJ Kirkbride, Blonde, William O'Neill, Scott Koblish from Deadpool, Jim Masood, 
Black Lim, me, <laughs> Livio Ramondelli, uh, the Ladybugs, which is the female comic creators league that meets here on Thursday nights, and they have their own anthologies out. Oh. We've got the Sketchy Bugs, which is the Wednesday night group, and we have the dating app Cuddly, which is a geek-based uh, dating app. Oh, and DJ and stuff. Hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's another massive lineup of really cool people. Uh, some of those you've heard of, some of them you haven't, but they all make really good stuff. Cool. Yeah, so be sure to look up um, Mike the Comic Bug. Is it the Comic Bug Pavilion? Yeah, the Comic Bug Pavilion. But it's it's essentially like a row or two of uh, artist alley tables. Yeah, that's um, what it was last year, I think. It was yeah. a whole section. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, we, I might be doing some panels. I'm not sure yet, but uh, I, I think there's a few panels I'm supposed to be on. I need to find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cause, uh, that's right. I think we were trying to interview you last year, and we had to work around your panel schedule and your uh, high-in-demand <laughs> yeah. individual. Uh, yeah, I had a few last year, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what, what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's so, you know, <laughs> this, thing, this train has just left the track, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, we're... What am I doing again? So, yeah, I'll figure it out the day before. <laughs> and, and where can can the, the listeners find out more about uh, Guns of Blazin', about Mike Wellman, about Wonder Boy, about Comic Bug? What what, what are some of the links yeah. to throw up there? Uh, well, Guns of Blazin', well, I, I would recommend Facebook. That's really, I'm most active on Facebook. I, I, yes. The Comic Bug has a website, but um, yeah, I, I do all the updates and everything through our Facebook page. And, and uh, Guns of Blazin' is on there. I'm on there. Uh, if if you look like you're, uh, you know, a, a fan of comic books or, or that sort of thing, and you don't look like you're a, a crazy like uh, fembot from Austin Powers, I'll, I'll friend you. Very <laughs> quick. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's it's all mostly done through there. Um, Facebook backslash Guns of Blazin', Facebook backslash The Comic Bug. Right. And uh, yeah, we're, we're there. Cool. Uh, and we'll have yeah. links, all your links. I will collect all your links. You can email me your links, and I'll put all your links up. Um, oh, thank so you. It'll be easy to find. Um, yeah, but, do you have any final thoughts or advice for uh, aspiring comic creators, comic writers? Yeah, I mean, I think whatever it is you do, if it's movies, if it's, you know, plays, if it's comics, if it's novels, uh, you know, I, I think you just have to dedicate it within yourself that you're going to do it no matter what. And, uh, and, you know, just, just see it through. And, and, you know, if it's something you really want to do, don't, don't be discouraged. Like there's a lot of, you know, roadblocks out there. There's a lot of holes in the street, (laughs) Uh but, uh, you know, just, just, uh, muscle through and, and know that, you know, your, your first stuff isn't going to be your best stuff. And, uh, you know, just make it so you're able to, uh, to follow your dreams. And, um, and, you know, it's nice to to know that it eventually, you know, hopefully will pay off. And, and but it's a lot of work and nothing to eat. So. Right, right. On that note, thank you so much, Mike. As always, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, be sure to look up Mike at the uh, LA Comic Con, formerly Comic Kazi. And thank you all for listening.